There's a uh, story of a, an older man that was traveling to town many years ago, and uh, as he was traveling to town, he was on a donkey, so it had to be a long time ago, and he comes around a bend, and when he came around a bend, he noticed a figure over on the side of the road, and he didn't really understand what it was. It looked like a hurt animal, looked like a hurt child, something was going on, so he got off his donkey, and as he got closer to it, he recognized that it was a, a boy, it was an elementary age boy, and uh, the boy was laying on his back on the side of the road and had both legs legs extended up into the sky and, and he had his eyes closed and so uh, the man instantly thought well, maybe something's wrong maybe this boy is sick or maybe he got hit uh, by a cart or maybe he fell off of something and so he he got off his donkey and he walked over to the little boy and he said son are you okay and the boy barely moving an inch turned his head and opened his one eye and said yes sir i'm fine the man said, well, what in the world are you doing out here right next to the road just laying here with your legs up in the air? The little boy with that same opened eye turned and said, well, some friends of mine were talking and one of my friends overheard his parents talking and they were talking about all the things that were going on and one of them said that the sky is falling. So the best thing I thought I could do was to come out here next to the road where it's flat and do my best. The old man looked at him and said, do your best. He said, do my best to keep it from falling. He said, now, son, do you really think that with your two legs and your small body, you can actually keep the sky from falling? The boy, without missing a beat, with a stern look on his face, said, I've got to give it everything that I've got. And I don't know about you, but as I read that story, I feel like that a lot of times, don't you? Like our best effort, like the best that we can offer, the best that we can do seems to always not be good enough. Seems to always fall a little short. Seems to be that, that we're trying to hold our legs up against an infinite sky that is collapsing around us. Now, when I was in school, when I was younger, uh, I was a good student. I was a good student because I could uh, memorize things real well. I have almost a photographic memory. Uh, I, I can memorize things easily, and I also love to read. And so when you're young and you love to read and you can memorize stuff easily, then school came easy for me. It was no problem until I got into the ninth grade because when I hit ninth grade, I came up against what I call my arch nemesis. Uh, it's my uh, one uh, weak link. It was my enemy, if you will. And the name of it is higher mathematics. The more specific name of it is algebra. Amen? See, I was always good in math. I never had a problem with math because I could memorize formulas and I can repeat those formulas back and make things work out. But when I got to algebra, it seemed like all of the things that I had remembered before didn't count. It's like the teacher just took all of that stuff and threw it out the window and everything was new. And for me, as I studied in algebra and I worked in algebra, I, I, it just never clicked. It never went off in my head. It never made sense to me. And so I never got it. And I worked hard and I worked hard. And uh, in ninth grade, I was in all honors classes, all advanced classes and uh, doing great in all those classes. But what I found was I was spending more time in that one algebra class than I was in all the other classes combined. And it was killing me. And so that first six weeks, the report cards came out, and luckily for me, uh, I had worked hard and worked hard and worked hard, and I'd made a B. Now, I know to some of you, a B's uh, not a big deal, but it was the only B I made that semester. It was the only B I made that six weeks. It was all A's, all A pluses, A, A minuses, and one 
B on the report card. And, and even though it was a good grade, it got me by and my parents didn't say anything. I knew I was in trouble because I knew that was the easy part of algebra. I knew the tough stuff was coming. And so I buckled down. I started going after school and meeting with the teacher. I started doing extra credit everywhere that I could. I even hung out with girls that that said they got it and let them try to explain it to me as I was trying to figure it out. But the more that second six weeks went by, the more I realized I was in trouble. And when report card time came at the end of that second six weeks, there it was in black and white, uh, algebra D. Now, you have to understand, for me, that was the first D I had ever gotten in school. Uh, matter of fact, I had never gotten a C. Now, I, I think I'd only gotten a handful of Bs. I was an all-A student. And I sat there, and I looked at that D, and, and I couldn't believe it, a D. And, and, you know, my parents had always told me, if you do the best that you can and, and you try your hardest, grades don't matter. Well, they seemed to have forgotten that when I brought that report card home. My dad said, you just got to work hard. I said, you don't understand. I'm already working hard. I'm already doing everything that I can. And I worked and I worked and I worked. And and somehow, by the grace of God, by mercy, uh, I passed Algebra 1. But it was always a challenge for me. It was always difficult for me. It was always a war. And I learned through that grade, in that time, that there are some things in life, there are some things that we have to do that we can give it everything that we got. We can give it our best effort, but our best effort just won't be good enough. No matter what it is. Now, in my defense, and, and Mr. Newton, if you ever happen to hear this, uh, I'm still waiting for the time that I can actually use algebra in real life. Um, maybe this will be the year. I'm crossing my fingers uh, that algebra comes. I, I said that before, and I got like 20 emails from math teachers that said, you use it every day, you just don't know, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm just kidding. But I realized I, I, couldn't, I couldn't reach what they were expecting of me with all that I had. Kind of felt like two cows that were on the side of the road and they were grazing on the side of the road and a big tank truck full of uh, milk goes by them. And on the side of that tank truck, it said fresh milk. And underneath it, it said uh, pasteurized, homogenized vitamins, added D vitamin expressly. And one of the cows looks over at the other and says, that kind of makes me feel a little inadequate, doesn't it? You see, this morning, if you can relate to any of those stories, this morning, if you can relate to feeling inadequate sometimes, to feeling like your best just isn't good enough, then this message is for you. If you, if in relationships you feel like you've given it everything that you've got and it's just not enough, in life you, you hit things up against the wall and you've given it everything that you've got and it, it just doesn't seem to be getting you through. And, and maybe uh, your problems, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's a lifestyle and, and you just try and you try and you try and it's just never good enough. Maybe some of you this morning, you're here in church and, and your relationship to God, you feel like you, you, just, you just can't get there. You try and you come to church and you read your Bible and you pray, but it's like it always just seems to fall short. This message is for you this morning. I've also got some good news for you. Maybe good news. It doesn't sound like good news, but it is. Let me spring it on you. The good news this morning is all of us in this room are inadequate. 
Now, I know that doesn't sound like the feel-good gospel that you hear in churches. I, I know that doesn't sound like something that, that you would put on the title of a self-help book. I am inadequate. Uh, you probably won't see Joel Osteen having the church stand up and say, repeat after me, I am inadequate, okay? Uh, because we don't like to say that. But guess what? We are. There are going to be times in your life that you're not going to be able to do it all. Times in your life that, that you won't. Make it to what you had shot after. Times in your life that you're going to fall short. And the good news of that, and the reason it's good news, is because the moment we recognize that we are inadequate, the moment that we recognize that my best may not be good enough, is the moment we recognize that we need help. Because see, all of us in this room, from the time we were little to the time that we go on to glory, there are things that we're going to need help with. And the good news for us this morning is help is available. And that's where our passage comes in. So you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And, and this is the same passage that we looked at last week. We, uh, we're in the middle of our series on Ephesians. And I tell you to bring your Bible and take notes because I believe Ephesians is a life-changing book. I believe it's a church-changing book. I believe it can set you free beyond anything that you'd ever imagine if you just let it. And so this morning we're going to study a little here from Ephesians and look at these same verses we looked at. Uh, we looked at them regarding the before and after picture last week if you were here. But I want to go back and look at two particular verses that are in here um, because they're probably the most famous verses from the book of Ephesians. I know they're probably the most quoted verses, the most memorized verses from the book of Ephesians. We kind of went by them to get to verses 9 and 10. And so uh, I want to go back and look at them. But we're going to start in verse 1. So let's read. It says, as for you, and remember he's talking to Christ followers, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. For all of us were living among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of those people, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now you want to talk about inadequate. You want to talk about having a need. Here Paul lays out what we bring to the table as people in this world. He is basically saying, do you understand this is the best that you've got when it comes to God? This is what you bring on your side of the ledger when it comes to trying to worship God, when it comes to trying to please God, when it comes to trying to to have a relationship to God. That is what you bring. Now that's not a pretty picture as we talked about last week. But there's good news. In verse 4 comes the incredible but. But God. What does he say? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up, and Christ seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us, through Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? Paul's laying out this case. He's saying, listen, you you can give it the best that you've got and it is still dead. You can do everything that you have. You can be the most spiritual person that there is. You can come to church every week. You can give big checks to the church. You can go volunteer overseas in missions. You can uh, go and give everything that you have to the poor. You can preach the gospel every day, but it's still not enough. You're still dead in your transgressions. But God decided to help. But God decided to intervene. How did He intervene? What was the name of that help? 
Look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that any man can boast. Grace. What is it that steps into our life and reaches down when we are inadequate? It's grace. What is it that comes into your life when you've given it everything that you can and you can't give any more and it's still not enough? Grace. What is it in your life when you come to the realization that you are this person in verses 1 through 3? You are this person that is dead in their transgressions? It's grace. And you see this morning the good news for you and I who are woefully inadequate is God's grace is an offer, is a gift for you this morning. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Now grace gets used a whole lot in church. We sing about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. Matter of fact, I was talking to someone one time and they were complaining about their church. They were complaining. They said, listen, all we ever talk about is grace. We just talk about grace too much. And my response is, how? How can you talk about it? You must not understand it if you think you talk about it too much. Because it, it, it's what gets us through the day. It's what gets us into salvation. It is what gets us at the place of my inadequacies. You see, God says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Now, I'm not going to do an in-depth teaching on grace. We've done that before. I, I did a whole series, uh, five or six weeks. We went through Galatians last year, and we talked about grace over and over. But before I could move on, before I could go to this next part of Ephesians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit kept saying, you need to go back and look at verses 8 and 9. Because someone this morning, and it's probably me, needs a reminder about how incredible grace is. Somebody this morning needs a reminder that at the end of their rope, grace is sufficient. Someone needs a reminder that when they don't think they can go on anymore, grace is there for them. And someone asked me, they heard me say that before, and say that you know God was ready to speak to one person. And they said, do you think God, when you're working on your messages and you're praying, do you think God plans a message just for one person in church? I don't know. Jesus said that the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one that was lost. So I tend to believe that there are many times that God works through messages and Bible studies and songs for one person with ears to hear. Now maybe this morning that one person is me and you're just going to get the overflow but I believe somebody this morning needed to hear about grace. I believe somebody this morning was at the verge of giving up because they didn't think they could go on. Somebody this morning was at the verge of, of stepping back instead of stepping forward because you don't remember what you've been given. So for a few minutes, I want to talk about grace. Amazing, marvelous, incredible grace. We define grace the Specific definition is unmerited favor. Basically what it means is God's gracious love towards us. God's gift towards us. It's the means. See, grace is by the way that God offers salvation to you and I. It's the channel. See, we can, we can talk about salvation and we can talk about Jesus dying on the cross, but it doesn't become ours until grace steps in. And it's grace that takes Jesus off the cross and His blood and brings it into our lives. That is grace. Grace is the place that when we are inadequate, it steps in and makes it adequate. 
comes from the Greek word charis, which is related to the word we know as charismatic or uh, charisma. And that is the word for gift. And so basically he's saying it's a gift. What is grace? It's a gift to those that would receive it. It means God's undeserved kindness to us. If you look up grace and try to understand it in Jesus' times, Jesus never used the term grace. But he exampled it over and over again. He talked about it over and over again. Just didn't use the word grace. You see, the idea behind the Hebrew word for grace is meaning to give a gift to someone in need, to stoop down to give a gift. It's been said that when we uh, give love up, it's worship. When we give love out, it's affection. When we give love down, when we stoop is the word in the Hebrew, that's grace. When we extend love, when we extend the gift of love to someone who doesn't even know they need it. That's grace. It's related to mercy, but you shouldn't confuse the two many times we do in the church. Because you see, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. See, if you were to leave this morning, you were to, to pull out of the parking lot and one of Blowing Rock's finest to sit in hiding right over here uh, in the area and he pulls you over and stops you for speeding, comes back to the car and begins to give you a lecture and he decides not to give you a ticket, that's mercy. If he comes back to the car and decides not to give you a ticket, ask you to come with him and go home because his wife cooked a home-cooked meal, that's grace. You see, God, what Paul is trying to say is that God has offered us something that not only do we not deserve, but it's something that is beyond our expectations. And, and Paul tells us a couple of things about it here. First of all, he says, you can't earn it. He said, it's not of yourself. It's not something that you can ever do enough to earn. You can't make God give it to you. You, you can't do good things. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. He told us that what we bring to the table will never be good enough. And the problem for many in the church is they spend all of their time trying to be good enough. And you'll never be good enough. It's like trying to swim to Hawaii. You can train and you can be the best endurance swimmer in America. You, you can design the greatest swim outfit. You can come up with the best regimen. You can train for years. But I promise you, you're going to get in the water and you're going to find a time when you've given it everything that you've got and you've done everything that you can and all your training is going to kick in and it's still not going to be enough. You can't earn grace because it's a gift that's given to you freely. You see, the problem in the church is too many people, maybe they understand that they've been given grace and they understand they can't earn it, but they spend all their time trying to pay it back. Spend all their time trying to make themselves worthy of the gift. Well, let me tell you something. If you couldn't do anything to be worthy of it on the front end, you could never do anything to be worthy of it on the back end. And so many of us get in this idea that I've got to do this because God gave me grace and I've got to do this because God gave me grace. No, that's not why you do it. You do it because you're walking in grace, not because you're trying to earn your grace. And I see Christian after Christian after Christian get beat up. They think, I'm not, I'm not living up to show that I earned grace. I'm not, not doing something to prove that, that I, I deserve this. It's kind of like the end of Saving Private Ryan. Where Ryan is standing there at the grave and he's talking to the character that was Tom Hanks' character. And remember, right before Tom Hanks' character died back in 44, 
He said, earn this, earn all of these men giving their lives. And at the end, he's standing there at that tombstone and he's weeping, surrounded by his family. He says, I hope that I earned it. You see, that's where a lot of Christians fail because we go to our lives and we come to the end of it and we say, I hope that I earned it. You, you see, you may live a good life and you may try to earn it, but you know what happens? You miss out on the joy of walking in victory knowing that you got something free. You see, that's the beauty of grace. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't pay it back. It's so free when you begin to understand that this doesn't have anything to do with you. It's all of God. Because then you realize that there is nothing you can do in this world to make God love you any more than He does right now. And there's nothing you can do in this world to make God love you any less than He does right now. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of understanding it. You see, you can't deserve it. You can't earn it. And while we talk about grace being free, there was a cost. Matter of fact, back in Ephesians 1, Paul talked about the cost. He said, you were redeemed. You were set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, this grace... This wonderful, amazing, marvelous grace cost Jesus everything. Cost Him His life. Cost Him His blood. See, most of the time, Charles Swindoll said that when grace is given, it never costs the one who is receiving it, but it always costs the one who is giving it. Matter of fact, the one who's receiving it, it costs nothing. But to the one who gives it, it costs everything. And Jesus Christ paid for your grace. Stop trying to earn something that you couldn't pay because He was the only one that could pay to let grace loose. Can't earn it. Cost Jesus everything. And the third thing that He tells us here is for it to be sufficient in your life, you have to choose to accept it. You have to receive it. See, a gift is not a gift until it's your gift, right? It's not a gift until you take it and make it your gift. I remember getting a card after Kim and I had gotten married. We'd been married seven or eight years, and a card from a person that said, uh, "How are you doing? Checking in on y'all. Hope everything's going well. Just wanted to let you know that we have a wedding gift we bought you for your wedding, but it's still sitting in a closet here. Do you want me to ship it to you?" Now, I don't remember if we ever had it shipped or not, but all I could think was that that I had a gift. But it wasn't really my gift. Just a gift on a shelf. Just a gift that was intended for me. When did it become my gift? It didn't become my gift until she mailed it to me, until I opened the box and, and I took it out. People say, well, well, you just said I don't have to do anything to get grace. You don't have to do anything except open your hands and receive it. You saw an ad in the paper that they were giving away free cars in the morning. You wouldn't complain because you had to drive down and drive it home, would you? See, it's not a matter of doing anything. It's a matter of receiving it. Now, how do we receive it? He said it is a gift of God by grace through faith. It's faith. Now, what is faith? See, faith is the channel for you to respond. If grace is how God offers us salvation, faith is how you receive salvation. You see, grace does not become ours until we receive it. It's just a, a song. It's just something we talk about. And, and faith is much more than what some people think about. See, faith isn't just knowledge. 
Faith isn't just coming to church and going, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. See, because the Bible says in James, the demons in hell believe it and they tremble. They're not saved. It's more than just saying, I, I, I believe all that stuff that's in the Bible. It's more than knowledge. It's more than some esoteric thought. You know, People say, well, I have faith in faith. See, my, our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in an object. So how do you make faith? How do you make it work? How do you respond to this grace that's been offered to you, this wonderful gift of salvation, this wonderful gift of forgiveness, this gift that you don't deserve? How do you respond? Well, first of all, there is knowledge involved. You have to know what you believe in. You have to know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. What is the object of our faith? It's Jesus Christ. That His death, burial, and the cross, and resurrection provided a way for me to receive salvation. You got to know that, but it's more than knowing. Second thing you have to do besides knowing is appropriate it. What does that mean? That means making it mine. See, it's one thing to know something, it's another thing to make it yours. See, a lot of us know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, but to appropriate it means that Jesus Christ died for me. He didn't just die on the cross in some story, He died on the cross for me. I am making it mine. And the third thing that makes faith faith is you don't only just not know about it and have faith in that object that you know about and and make it yours, you have to receive it. You have to act on it. You have to move. You see, what makes faith faith is you stepping out in it. I've used an illustration of a chair before, a stool, and, and it works perfectly. You see, knowledge says that this stool was created for me to sit on. Knowledge says that the whole purpose that it was made was for me to be able to sit on. But that's not faith. That's just knowledge. And it becomes mine when somebody says, Rusty, this stool is yours. And so now I have a stool that was made for people to sit on. But not just anybody to sit on. It was made for me to sit on. But that's still not faith. See, that's just theory. I can walk away and talk about my chair and I can talk about my stool and I can tell you how great. Man, have you seen it? It's incredible. It's unbelievable. It was made just for me, but it's not really mine yet. See, it doesn't become mine till I actually do what it was created to do. I act on it. You see, for some of you this morning, grace is an offer that you've yet to receive. You sing about it, you talk about it, but you've yet to make it yours. This morning, I want to encourage you, if that's you, right where you are, all you've got to do is pray. Ask Him to receive it. Now here's the cool thing before we get done. Grace is God's offer. Grace provides a way. Faith is reaches up and grabs it. But here's what's cool. Grace doesn't stop there. You see, grace just wasn't a one-time thing. It's not just a one-time act. It's not just a one-time mention. Matter of fact, once you receive grace, once you act on grace, God doesn't say, okay, you sat on the stool, give it back. I'm going to go take it and put it over here, okay? It did what it was supposed to do. You sat on it one time. That's not the way grace works. You see, the moment you receive grace, guess what happens? Grace stays with you through the Christian life. And in all those other things that you're inadequate, relationships, effort that you give and it doesn't match up, guess who steps in? The same grace that saved you. 
how do I know? Because I know in 2 Corinthians when Paul was praying for the Lord to get rid of his thorn in the flesh, he said, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for I am made strong in your weakness. If you say when you've given everything you can in a marriage, everything you can in a relationship, everything you can at work, and it just doesn't seem to make it. Grace is still there. Call on grace. Reach out to grace. When you get that bad report, when you come up against those mountains, when, when all of a sudden it, it seems like all the boulders in life are falling against you, grace. You see, that grace stays with you until you come face to face with God. And God says, you don't need it anymore. You got me. Grace has started me on this journey. And grace will see me home. Now, those of you this morning that have never received God's grace, I, I encourage you. Let it be more than a song. Stop trying to do something that you can't do. You weren't created to do. You weren't made to do. And just receive the gift that God gave you. But for most of us in this room, we've already received it. This is just a good reminder. But I want to give you a little warning that Paul gave there at the end of verse 9. He said, It's not of yourself lest any man would boast. Now, most of us in here don't boast about grace. I mean, right? We don't, we don't walk around going, hey, look at my stool. Look what I got. You can't have it, right? We don't do that. But you know what we do? When someone comes up over here and we see them get a stool, we think, and they don't deserve that stool. I got the stool. They don't deserve one like me. They don't deserve one as pretty as mine. Man, I know what they did. I know how they lived. I know how they acted. Man, they are horrible. Why in the world, God, would you give them the same stool that you gave me? Now, we don't say that, but we think it and we act on it. See, Paul says, why would you boast? Because you got something great. Like the parable of the vineyards. Jesus gave the parable of the workers in the vineyards. The guys that got there early got paid more than they've ever been paid. Then guys showed up late. He paid them the same rate he paid the guys early. And the guys that got there early that were already making more than they deserved got mad. How, how dare he? Jesus said, who are you? I'm already giving you more than you deserve. See, there's so many times in our life we need to remember that at one time or another we needed grace. At one time or another... That person in verses 1 through 3, that was me. And but, but, but by the grace of God. And so whenever I see somebody else get grace, whenever I see somebody else on their stool, I need to be celebrating and singing, not thinking how dare they. Lest any man boast. And the second thing about boasting is, is sometimes we're very chintzy with our grace. You see, if we are children of God and supposed to be a reflection of God, that means that we need to walk in grace. And so when that person that we love gives it their best effort, but their best effort isn't what we thought it should be, instead of getting mad, instead of getting angry, grace. 
and your child is inadequate in something that they've done, grace. When that co-worker is driving you crazy, but you know that they're giving it everything that they've got, they're doing the best that they can. Instead of yelling and screaming and getting mad and going over there, grace. Why? Because you got grace. And because you got grace, you're a reflection of grace. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Not only did it start me out, it'll see me through. For those of you that needed this reminder this morning, like me, let me close with this. Imagine if you had a child, that child was murdered. After an investigation, after searching, the police came to you and they found out that they had caught the person that murdered that child. They had him in jail. Now, if you were to do everything in your power to try to go and take that murderer's life, if you used all your money and your skills and hired somebody and did everything you can to go and take his life, that would be called vengeance. However, if you decided to let the justice system play its part, you decided to let it work itself out, decided to let it go to court and a fair trial and, and a plea of guilty and, and maybe capital punishment or whatever the case may be, see, that would be called justice. Vengeance, justice. In the middle of that trial, for the murder of your child, if you were to stand up during the time when they determined punishment and say, please... Spare his life. That would be called mercy. But on the other end of the spectrum, if once they capture that murderer of your child, you went to the police station and begged them to let him go, and then went to him and forgave him of everything that he did to you and to your child, then you took him home to live with you, and adopted him and making your son that murder that would be grace see there's not many of us in this room that could or would do that but God does it every day every day why do we sing about grace being amazing because it's beyond our comprehension beyond our understanding but it's ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your truth this morning. We thank You for Your Word this morning. And God, we ask that if there's somebody here this morning that, Father, they've never experienced Your grace, they've heard us sing about it and they've heard us talk about it. And God, they, they've seen people walk it out, but they've never by faith received it. I pray this morning, right where they are, they would pray. And make that, that knowledge personable. Make it theirs. And that they would act on it by saying, God, come into my heart and save me. Father, for those of us in here that are Christ followers, those of us in here that have received that grace and, and we're called to live that grace, God, let us never forget how much we deserve that grace, how much we needed that grace. And Father, let us give grace to those around us. Let us be gracious in our speech, gracious in our actions, gracious in our walk. 
especially to those that we love. Father, sometimes it's easier to be gracious to those that we don't know real well than to those that are closest to us. God, let us be vessels of grace, never boasting, always remembering how incredible that precious gift is and what it costs you. God, we believe this morning that your grace is enough. It is sufficient. Father, there are times that my best will not do. There are times that I will be inadequate. There are times that I am going to fail. But I believe this morning that your grace is sufficient. We love you and we worship you in your name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?